When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Blue Jackets playoff edition of Buckeye Talk. We're going to take a little detour um, this week, and rather than talking about the Ohio State football team that you have come to know and love and have followed here on Buckeye Talk for years and years, we're going to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets. Because they won a playoff series. Wait, let me. My producer, my producer's calling me. Hold on a second. What? Yeah, uh, just talk about the team you cover. People, uh, people don't really want to know what you think as a fan about another team. Yeah, but, but they swept 4-0. Yeah, yeah, but you know they they pay you for Ohio State, so just do that. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, we're gonna go back to Buckeye talk. Um, I guess. My producer wants me to do football. So we're going to stick with Ohio State football. Um, congratulations to the Blue Jackets on their sweep. Um, they might win the Stanley Cup, which is great. And there are a lot of interesting comparisons to be made between the Blue Jackets and what the Browns could do this season. But we're going to stick with Ohio State football. Thanks, as always. Doug Maurice here by myself this week. You can follow me on Twitter, at Doug Maurice. Follow us at Buckeye Talk Pod. I don't tweet much there anymore. Got a lot going on. You can email us, BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. You can drop a review. Haven't talked about the reviews lately. Kind of not safe for work. Got a couple five stars in a row. The last couple, if you guys, if you want to entertain yourselves, you can go look at our reviews on iTunes. Um, there's a five-star one this week that said, uh, it's a five-star one from someone in Thailand, which is awesome. Um, and within the five-star review, and I appreciate this because we take good, solid feedback, whatever it is, um, it says, Doug is talking a lot more, which is a mixed bag, which I thought was a probably an appropriate response to the podcast. So thanks, as always, to you guys for listening. Thanks for following along. We're going to dig in on something that ESPN tweeted out. We're going to review the spring game, but we already did that for half an hour. And again, like going back and watching it, I just didn't get as much from the spring game maybe as I thought I would. Maybe you think the same. I don't think we need to do like a half an hour that we already did that Steve and I did and I did right after the game in our post game pod and then do like another two hours in the spring game. So 
I want to deal with some of the questions you sent. We'll talk spring game a little bit, some, but I want to dig in on something first. It's not a question, but it's something that ESPN has put out with their playoff predictor and it has some people wound up. Uh, ESPN always has this, this playoff prediction index that it takes recruiting into account, takes some other things into account. I am not. Uh, it's their ESPN football power index, the FPI. I'm not anti-numbers. That's great. It's a great way to analyze things. They have put out their odds to win the national championship, and there are nine teams that have more than 1%. Maybe you've seen this. We'll talk about it. To win the national championship, Clemson, 36% chance to win it all. Alabama, 27. Third is Michigan. No, excuse me. Third is Georgia at 8. Fourth, Michigan at 7. LSU at 6. Oklahoma, 5. Notre Dame, 4. Oregon and Florida with 1% each. Ohio State comes in in the group less than 1%. To make the playoff, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Ohio State's 12th to make the playoff. Ahead of Ohio State, chances of making the 14 playoff, Clemson, Bama, Michigan, Georgia, Oklahoma, LSU, Notre Dame, Oregon, Florida, Penn State, Auburn, then Ohio State. Here's something interesting. Four of the top 13 teams, their chances of making the playoff, are from the Big Ten East. Michigan's at 41%. Penn State's at 8%. Ohio State's at 6%. Michigan State's at 5%. So that is 8 plus 11, 19. That's a 60% chance that somebody from the Big Ten East makes the playoff. And what, what I, the reason I want to talk about this, some people think this is like a shot at Ohio State. Some of the Ohio State players are tweeting this out with little comments, which is the kind of thing that players should do at this time of year. Put a chip on your shoulder, that's great. Very seldom, I don't think any Clemson guys are going to be tweeting out, hey, you know, we won the national championship. Oh, great, look, ESPN in April said we have a 36% chance of repeating. They're not tweeting that out. The only players tweeting this out are guys who are mad about it and have a chip on their shoulder about it. But how should we think about Ohio State as a national championship contender? It is really hard to imagine, not to imagine it, you can imagine it, but there are two Ohio State teams out there, and that is the hard part of how to analyze this team right now. And we're going to do this all summer, but I want to do this now because this thing is out. Here's the one side of this team. The one side of this team, the team that you would say it's ridiculous for them to have less than a 1% chance. It's ridiculous for them to only have a 6% chance to make the playoff. That analysis is there's 17 and 18 classes who are now second-year and third-year guys who are the top two in the country. They have five-star players and high four-star players and top 100 players all over this roster. It is unbelievable. And if you count Justin Fields as a recruit for Ohio State's 2018 class, which you could do because he's here now and he was in the 2018 class, they would have had the number one class in the country. He was a number two overall recruit. The talent, the raw talent of the guys that matter most to this team as second and third year guys is unbelievable, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So if you want to look at Jeffrey Okuda, and we've done this, but let's do it again. Jeffrey Okuda and Baron Browning and Chase Young and guys like that. And then you want to look at other young guys like Tarada Mitchell, and um, and and uh, um, Josh Proctor and Teron Vincent and Tommy Togiai and, and Tyreek Smith and a lot of guys you think that could help. You throw in Jordan Fuller defensively and Damon Arnett defensively and Tuff Borland defensively. 
and Robert Landers and Jay Sean Cornell, and we'll talk about Jay Sean Cornell because I thought he popped a little bit in the spring. You can look at that talent and say, of course, of course they're a national title contender. And you can find enough talent on the offensive side of the ball too, right? You can run through Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Austin Mack and Jeremy Ruckert and J.K. Dobbins and the skill guys here. And, of course, K.J. Hill. You can run through all those guys and see the talent that should make them a national title contender that deserves more than 1%. No doubt about it. And you know at Ohio State there are guys that pop all the time. Jalen Gill could pop. Boom. He goes from not playing to being a dynamic threat. Absolutely could happen. Garrett Wilson could pop. Absolutely could happen. Taraja Mitchell, Josh Proctor could, could absolutely happen. Boom. Nothing to an impact player. We see it all the time here. And Ohio State has more guys like that than anybody in the Big Ten. So you can look at that and you can make assumptions. And you can look at recruiting and make assumptions on talent that absolutely makes you think they are absolutely a national title contender. This is a slap in the face. And then you go to the other side and you look at them this way. And you think they just lost one of the great coaches in college football history. They just lost a record-setting quarterback. They just lost three very veteran receivers. And they have four new starters on the offensive line. And for a team that defined itself on offense last year, there are questions about the defense. Are they really going to be a team that is defined by their defense this year? Is their defense going to carry them to the college football playoff? Probably not, right? You think the defense will be better. Will it be a defense-led team? This team, to be good, their offense has to be good. And what makes you sure? What makes you certain 100% that Justin Fields and Ryan Day and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and four new starters on the offensive line, all these young pieces can make them a playoff team? And then you do have pause. You have to at least have pause. And you have to leave open the idea of Nebraska getting them earlier, Cincinnati getting them earlier, Indiana jumping up and getting them. And there's a stretch there with Wisconsin and Northwestern. I'm telling you, we will break down the schedule a million times, but there is a way to look at this schedule that you think, man, how are they going to get through that? So it is hard to analyze this team. And so I get the idea that people are aggravated when they see the CSPN thing, but I think there's a part of you that has to think it's realistic. Now, the other part is it's hard to believe in Michigan. What would make you believe in Michigan to think, yes, this is the year, right? Because you can't, you can't put Michigan in the playoff because Urban Meyer retired. That's not a reason to put Michigan in the playoff. Well, Urban Meyer retired. What's the number one thing about Michigan's team? Urban Meyer retired. That is not a way to analyze football. So I, I get that that's hard, too. What I, I thought Michigan was going to be good last year. Last year, I picked Ohio State and Michigan to make the playoff. Would I bet my life on Michigan in the playoff? Do I think Michigan with a 41% playoff percentage right now is too high? Yeah, I think that's too high. Do I think that 41 Michigan to 6 Ohio State is too big of a gap? I do think it's too big of a gap. And we'll get into all of that and into analyzing the East. We have a whole summer to do it. But I would ask you right now to think... In your head, how do you really analyze this team? Having watched spring, that's the hard thing. There are two teams. There are two teams. There are the two teams that recruiting and better coaching that will get more out of these 17 and 18 guys and raw talent and guys making leaps. That's a national championship contender. Sure thing in terms of replicating the offense that made them great last year, not a national championship contender. So you can go find this, go find the ESPN thing. Maybe it aggravates you. I think it's hard to be aggravated about it, about it because I just, I don't know, I don't know which team they are. And, and actually, they're both teams, they're, they're 50% one team and 50% the other. So 
I think we're going to spend all of August trying to figure out which way they lean more. But right now, I think they're both at the same time. So let's get into some of the Twitter questions. And again, I, I don't know that I want to go through. I was thinking about doing this podcast. I was going to rewatch the spring game with you guys. And Drizzy get busy, my guy and your guy, asked that as a question when I sent out the Twitter thing. He said, how can you watch the spring game? Do I see it, Driz? Where are you, Driz? I want to give you credit. On Twitter, he asked, uh, where, can, oh, where can I find the full spring game to watch? Drizzy get busy 01. So you can go to BTN. Go to this on your computer. Maybe you do it on your phone, on your iPad. BTNNumeral2go.com. BTNTogo.com. If you go into the schedule, so you can find this, you have to have a cable provider that allows you access to BTN to go, and you have to sign in with your cable provider. But if you go to schedule on that website, and then you go back on the schedule to April 13th, the Ohio State spring football game is listed there, and there's a button that says replay. And then you can hit that, and it'll bring it up. It's the whole thing. It's all there, 90 minutes or whatever it is. So I was going to rewatch that 90 minutes. It's a good question. You guys can go find it. I recorded it, but go find it there. Go rewatch it. I was going to go through the whole game with you guys and just like we could watch it together and we could give commentary. But then I listened to it. James Laurinaitis, my guy, tremendous dude, smart football guy, was doing the color commentary. He gave you a lot of good stuff during that game. I will say if you watch the game on TV, I think maybe one reason, and there's a lot of Justin Fields here, that dude, I don't know who the dude was. I'm not taking a shot at the guy. He got a little overhyped on Justin Fields on the call. And so watching that, I mean, Justin Fields completed four four passes in the game, right? He was 4 of 13. There was a little extra juice from the play-by-play guy about Justin Fields that, again, I, I was a little suspicious of some of these dazzled Someone used the, there was a dazzled headline, I think from ESPN, an ESPN video about Justin Fields. He threw one ninety-eight yard touchdown pass. He did not dazzle, right? I'm not. I don't want to spend this whole podcast like criticizing Justin Fields. That was not a dazzle. I've seen dazzle. <laughs> You've seen dazzle. You don't know. I don't know how to define dazzle, but I know it when I see it, and that wasn't it. So um, I thought that call. I just thought the dude was a little jacked up. So. Um, I thought, I don't know if that took, some people took a different Justin Fields look away. Not you guys, because you guys have a lot of Justin Fields questions. So we're going to get into Twitter questions, then we'll get to some of the Gmail questions. Douglas DeLillo, do you think Justin Fields would be prolific in the third and fourth down, short yarded situations like JT was, or do you think Dave moves further away from lying on the QB run in these moments? So listen, if you guys follow me on the text, I sent out a couple texts this week about Justin Fields. I thought, We'll get into what I thought throwing. I thought running the ball, he did show something. He looks dangerous in the zone read to me. And I think they are going to be... Now, the, the thing is, they did run a QB draw or a QB power out of that empty set quarterback in the backfield by himself and runs it that we saw a zillion times with JT. We'll have more questions about that. And when you do that, there's not the element of the... They're not reading anything. It's not about maybe giving it to the tailback. I think he can be good at that. Now, JT was really good at that. JT, I think, was good at finding holes and was really powerful. There, there. I think there was a play where Fields might have made one. I also thought there was a play where Fields had a had a run to make a short run, and he bounced it. And, like, you cannot – if you're going to bounce it on that, on a short yardage thing, that cannot be your instinct. And uh, maybe I'll get to it now. Here, here's what I think specifically to DeLillo's question. What we think their third and fourth down play is going to be, 
I don't know that I would go empty as much and go pure QB power, QB draw, because I think their best bet there, not that it wasn't, they were good at it with JT too, but I think their best bet there is going to be a Fields-Dobbins read where the defense doesn't know which one it's going to be rather than pure field. So I don't know. I made a joke about here's the QB draw, the return of the QB draw. I don't know that they'll rely on that as much as they did with JT because I just think their best option there is the two of them. And then when you make that read, it's a little slower developing. Maybe you don't want to do that from the shotgun on third and two because the read is a half second more slow to develop. But you can't bounce that either, man. You cannot bounce that run outside because, and let's get to, uh, let's get to a question more about it because I think there is one down here. Uh, about Fields' athletic ability. Um, let's see. Eric E. Bronstein. Will the QB run become as predictable as it was with JT? With JT, almost every time they would go five wide, it was run up the middle, third and short, same thing. So the one thing about that is it worked. And I've made as many jokes about that as anybody. It worked. So it's fun to complain about it, but you weren't complaining about it because it failed. You were complaining about it, and I was complaining about it because it was boring and predictable, and everybody in the world knew it was coming, and you couldn't stop it. And there were times last year where maybe, especially early in the season, you would have wanted that back. So I, I think we don't want to be complaining about that. Um, but, okay, I can't find the question. But I will say this. That, uh, maybe it was in the email. Fields on the edge. I thought he looked good running to the edge on the touchdown run. But, again, um, he had a five-yard touchdown run where he got outside. But I think he was second-team defense. I know he beat three guys to the edge. He had one blocker, three guys to the edge. I think I know Isaiah Pryor was one, Tyreek Smith was one, and I think it might have been a walk-on linebacker was the other. Um, he wasn't beating Chase Young, uh, Jordan Fuller, and Malik Harrison to the edge. So he was a maybe slightly less dynamic athletically in terms of speed on the edge than maybe what I thought. I think he has a good instinct. I think he'll cut it up and run. I think he's pretty powerful. Um, I don't know that he's a guy. He got to the corner some, but I. So like that that wide run in the Big Ten championship game in 2013 with Braxton that didn't work because Hireman missed the block. You liked Braxton on the edge. It's like if we get Braxton to the edge, we like our chances with his speed, with his shimmy. I don't want Fields on the edge on third and two because I don't think I trust that speed and that shimmy as much. I want him in a hole with some power and speed combined, more like JT. So I did think his athleticism as a runner was, you know, I think it's a, maybe a significantly st a significant step below Braxton, but I think it's in the JT range. I think he's smart on the read. He looks coiled and dangerous. He gets into that read. He's crouched. His knees are bent. He's into that. He looks ready to spring out of that. And he's a smooth... On that decision, he's a smooth handoff, smooth keep guy. I just think that looks really good. I think that's going to be really good for them. I think there's a version, the, the 2013 team with the Braxton Hyde zone read, although Braxton didn't read it as much. Braxton sort of knew what he was doing before the play happened. But just that threat, are you giving it to Hyde? Is Braxton keeping it? That dual threat of the two guys, is JT keeping it? Or are you giving it to Ezekiel Elliott? The dual threat of those two guys, that is back. 
I think that might be the best thing this offense has going for it. That is back. Is Fields keeping it or are you giving it to Dobbins? That is going to work. That's going to work in short yardage. DeLillo, I think that's your play in short yardage. Okay? That's your play in short yardage. Ben K B Flusk five. What, the, what do we make of Jocelyn Went? Fair to say he was bad last year and then two picks in the spring game. Something or nothing. Oh, this is the part of it was the second part of his question. Also, has Justin Fields been a bit overhyped? Certainly didn't look like the greatest recruit we've ever had on Saturday, even just on athleticism. I agree with that. That like I think he wasn't jumping out of the gym with the athleticism. Really good, but he's not Braxton. Um, Jocelyn Went, I thought some backups flashed. I thought two guys that, that were like, okay. If somebody gets hurt, okay. Now, part of the issue with Jocelyn went last year is he was playing, right? He was playing. Isaiah Pryor was playing. If Jocelyn went and Isaiah Pryor are your backups, I think you're a good team. If they're forced to start, I think maybe that's not where you want to be. Amir Reap, I thought, flashed. So to me, if Jocelyn went is the backup bullet to Brendan White, from what he did, I th- he made a great anticipatory read on one of the interceptions, broke on the ball, really good. The other one kind of was a bit of a lofted ball. If he hadn't picked it off, Seven Banks would have picked it off. But two's picks in the spring game, and Jerome Baker tweeted this during the spring game. People, he said something about, you know, some people think the spring game doesn't matter, but that's where my career started. I think that was, you guys might remember the one-handed Jerome Baker interception that was sort of like the arrival of, hey, this dude's going to be a dude. So sometimes what guys do in the spring game is an indication of where they are as a player. Can they make plays? Jocelyn Wint made plays. Short story long, if Jocelyn Wentz, your backup, pull up behind Brendan White, he's a good backup, I think. If Amir Reap is your backup slot corner behind Sean Wade, he's a good backup, I think. If Sean Wade or Brendan White are hurt or are ejected for half a game or something, I think you can put those guys in there and feel good about that. Would I want those guys starting as one of your best 11 on a Big Ten championship defense? Probably not. But I think sometimes in the spring, what you're looking for is those twos. Veteran twos. Amir Reap and Jocelyn Wynn, I think, can be veteran twos that can help you. So I thought from that standpoint, good for Jocelyn went flashing like that. That's how I would take that for what he did in the spring game. Put the following in order. This is Greg C74. In order from most to least likely, A, the 2019 offense matches the 2018 offense in total yards. B, the Blue Jackets make the Stanley Cup Finals. C, the defense finishes number one overall in the Big Ten. D, Doug is lost before 2019 even starts to a rare robot polar bear attack. So I hope we never see robot polar bears. We can do a little robot talk talk this week if people want to. Um, So the thing about robots is, is robots can replicate like our everyday stuff. And again, we've talked about like automation in a world where if, if automation on a factory line wants to take away rote things from humans and allow humans to do more creative things, Okay, I don't want robots shooting jump shots. I do not want robots shooting jump shots. And people tweeted me and emailed me about the jump shooting robot. It's just a catapult. They've been doing that since the Middle Ages. You figure out the angles and you, you, you take a thing and a machine throws a thing in the air. And if you figure out the angles and program it the right way, you can make something land in the right spot. But what is the art in that is making your body be the machine to replicate something. So I get that a machine can replicate something and make a jump shot or make a thousand out of a thousand foul shots. The idea is can the human body and the human brain 
in those kind of things make itself like a robot? That's the question. That's the beauty. We don't want to be robots. But when, it, when the time is right, can we replicate something under pressure, under duress, with somebody in our face, when it matters, with our loved ones in the stands, with people watching on TV? It is that emotional part of the replicated action that brings it its beauty. If you're just doing something over again, but you don't feel anything while you're doing it, I don't care if a robot can make a jump shot. The robot's not trying to like lower its heartbeat. The robot is not trying to empty its brain of thoughts, of self-doubt. So I don't, so take off robot. That's not the point. And also a robot can't dribble. Shaq would have blocked your shot, robot. So I know you guys sent me the robot jump shooter. That is not what it's about. The biathlon and the Winter Olympics is a great event because you are skiing. You are exerting yourself in a cardiovascular capacity. Your heart rate is up. You're sweating. And then you come to the shooting part of that event and you calm yourself. You do breathing techniques to lower your heart rate. You can watch on the broadcast. These people drop their heart rates in half instantaneously to calm themselves to shoot a target. And then they get back up and they ski their butts off. I don't care if a robot can do that. The beauty, the beauty is in the attempt to be a robot in the right moments because we are not robots. Because we do have hearts and we do have brains and we do have emotions. The emotion is what makes the moment. A robot can't be clutch because a robot, a robot can't be influenced by the crowd or by the pressure or by the history of what's going on. A robot's just making a foul shot. A robot in an empty gym and a robot to win the NBA championship is the same thing. A human is not. That's the beauty. Robots, dang it. I think the most likely thing there is that the Ohio State defense finishes number one in the Big Ten. I think there is room for that. I think all the things we talked about, A, better coaching across the board to change four to five defensive coaches. You get a better scheme, you get better coaching. That Young guys popping, a couple personnel tweaks. Because the, the, the defense last year was the outlier, right? Actually, I might change my answer on this. I actually think the Blue Jackets making the Stanley Cup final might be the most likely thing because they're hot. You get hot in hockey and that's it. Actually, Blue Jackets making the Stanley Cup final is the most likely of this. The Ohio State defense being number one in the Big Ten is right behind it. And then third, the, the offense matching 2018 in total yards. That I just don't think is on the board. When you have Dwayne Haskins doing what he did, throwing for almost 5,000 yards, you had two tailbacks combining for 400 carries and almost 2,000 yards. Like, that's not there. I don't think that's there for this offense. It's there for the Blue Jackets, and I think it's there for this defense. Certainly a way that can happen. Good question, Greg. WDK 1921, where was the under center stuff? I don't know. Right? I thought maybe they'd show some, not all. They didn't show any. We've seen it in practice. I have reason to believe we're going to see it in the fall. We didn't see it in the spring. I don't know that they're hiding anything. We just didn't see it. I would not take that as an indication that we're not going to see it in the fall. JSAT5, I can't figure out Ben Victor. Guy randomly makes huge plays and disappears like David Blaine. As a senior, I expect more. Thoughts? I think that's who he is. And the idea of an inconsistent player is certainly not a new thing in sports. Um, ben Victor, the play he made, and I think this is okay. This is what we do. This is what fans do. This is what reporters do. It's okay to get caught up in the moment. It would love, it'd be great to have great, perfect perspective in every moment all the time. You know, like a robot. 
I think it's okay to get caught up in things. But Ben Victor against Penn State last year, when he made that unbelievable catch over the middle, went up and got a ball from Dwayne Haskins, nobody else on the roster. They don't have his height. They don't have his ability to go up over the middle. And then he, he weaves his way through the defense for that touchdown. And then everybody was like, Here, Ben Victor has arrived. I, I, that's, I don't think that's right, right? I mean, I don't, Ben Victor's not going to be a guy who's going to make – he's not going to have seven catches a game. But can he make five plays a year that change your season? I think he might be able to. So I think we just have to settle in on that. You know, is, do you want him as your number one receiver? No. They don't have to have him as their number one receiver. So I think Austin Mack, K.J. Hill is the opposite of Ben Victor. K.J. Hill is the complete opposite. K.J. Hill is there all the time. So K.J. Hill, consistent. I think Austin Mack can be consistent. I think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson can be more consistent than Ben Victor, but also Flash. But if Ben Victor's your, your sixth best receiver, that's great. Or your fifth best receiver, or your fourth best receiver, it's a lot of this stuff. You want guys slotting in. So let's not expect Ben Victor to be a number one receiver, but if he's your fourth or fifth best receiver, he is really good. Fourth or fifth best receiver. So I get your question, Jay Sat, but I think the next time Ben Victor makes a single standout play, let's not assume that means that the light went on or whatever sports writer cliche we want to use there. Let's assume that that's just Ben Victor doing what he does, which is flashing on occasion. Nick Nicky Unders asks, I'm starting to worry that we are going to see more C.J. Saunders than Jalen Gill this season. Am I being ridiculous or should I be ready for yet another less talented upperclassman getting undeserved reps? So again, I don't, this is not, I'm not here to bash C.J. Saunders. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, there was a moment in the spring game, it was like they moved down, I think, late in the half, in the first half, Matthew Baldwin threw a touchdown pass to C.J. Saunders against a walk-on linebacker or a walk-on safety. Um, you know, I think you got to play Jalen Gill. And it's great. I mean, it's just, it's great. I understand. I was just doing something. I'm doing this thing about how the Browns transform themselves. And I'm counting down the 25 moves of the Browns that shaped this team, Diet Coke Break. And Joe Schobert, the linebacker, is one of them. He was a walk-on at Wisconsin who became an all-Big Ten player, right? Hunter Renfro, walk-on. I get it. We know all the walk-on stories. I just don't think that's in play here. I don't think C.J. Saunders, to go from any walk-on to earning a scholarship and having any role on a team is a tremendous, outstanding accomplishment. For anybody to walk on a college football team and be on the field is a tremendous, outstanding accomplishment. I'm breaking down the team as how it's going to be on the field. I just think that it's going to be Jalen Gill. Now, we did see some C.J. Saunders. He got a snap here or there early last season at times, even when they had Paris Campbell and K.J. Hill. I just don't think it's going to be meaningful. Again, and, and I, I get it. People are writing about Prater, the whatever, Galen Prater. I can't remember what his name is, the walk-on here. You know, they already have seven receivers. They're not, you know, Jalen Harris can't get on the field. We're not going to have Ohio State walk-ons making huge plays at receivers. So I think they'll play Gill. I think they're working stuff in. You know, C.J. Saunders has been around forever. He knows exactly what he's doing. Jalen Gill does not yet know exactly what he's doing. Just because he's young, it's fine. I think when it comes down to who is going to get meaningful reps behind K.J. Hill in the fall at H-back, I will be very surprised if it's not Jalen Gill. It is something worth watching. All praise to C.J. Saunders. I just would be very surprised if he ends up having a super meaningful role on this team. And I am anticipating at the moment 
that Jalen Gill is going to be the number two H back, regardless of how anything looked this spring. I think they, you know, Garrett Wilson was getting reps with the twos and threes on Saturday, and we know Garrett Wilson's going to have a role. So I think sometimes with these young guys, they just want to make sure they know the, the playbook, get them comfortable, make sure they don't get big heads. I'm still anticipating great stuff from, from Jalen Gill. Pete Capo, not going to try to say his last name anymore for Doug. I think there's one for Steven. No Steven this week. Demario's not practicing at all. Are you worried about him? So everyone knows my crush on Demario McCall. Um, I am a little worried. And it's just the idea of they move on without you. And it's not fair, whatever. They move on. They don't wait. They can't afford to wait. So they moved on this spring. We know Demario is at running back. He's not at H-back. And they just moved on to Master Teague and Marcus Crowley as getting the second team reps at running back instead of DeMario. Now, does that mean he's out for preseason? No. But these are reps he could have used. He's a veteran, but he's bounced back and forth between positions. So am I am I more worried about DeMario McCall's place on this team? Yeah, I am. Because I think they, they seem to say good things about Master Teague and Marcus Crowley. J.K. Dobbins is going to be the guy, and he's going to take up all the reps, I think, at running back. I'm not sure there's going to be a ton of reps. I don't know that we're going to see that many meaningful reps for anybody at second-team running back. But we had talked early in spring with Tony Alford and other people about Jamari McCall situationally. Between the tackles, can he be a, a real number two guy? Tony Alford said, yes, yes, of course, of course. And that was at a time when they were expecting him to get back to practice, and then he didn't. So I'm a little more worried. I'm a little more worried. I'm a little more worried. Um, he will be near the top of my list of guys who, if you made a list of like five guys who need big preseasons in August, um, Demario McCall's on that list. Kyle Brandenburg, Mad Cow Design. I've heard you guys talking about Crowley, McCall, and obviously Dobbins, but I thought Teague has and still does look great. What's your split among carries for the all four this year? Can Teague be the main backup to Dobbins this year? So, um, you know, we talked about DeMario because I have a crush on DeMario. We talked about Crowley because he's an early enrolled freshman. Ryan Day said his name. Your ears perk up. He just got here, and he's making people notice. That's why we talk about Crowley. It's easy to forget about a guy like Master Teague. But don't forget a guy about a guy like Master Teague. He's ahead of Crowley. And right now, I think he's ahead of DeMario. So I think right now, he's the number two tailback on this team. That's an important role. Especially if I, it's mostly important because if anything happens to J.K. Dobbins. So, great. What is Master Teague? I don't know. You know, he was recruit number 239 or whatever. I think in general, probably. Ideally, Ohio State would rather have a guy ranked higher than 239 as their number one tailback. So is Master Teague ever going to be a number one tailback here? I don't know. Is he a good, solid guy who can get some yards and has a little size and bulk and can still move? Yeah, for sure. Done everything right so far. Done everything right. Would I want Master Teague getting 25 carries a game for a month because something happened? Because J.K. Dobbins had an injury that kept him out for three games. No, <laughs> like I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that would be ideal for this offense. I would not think that that would make this offense run at peak efficiency if Master Teague's the number one tailback for any decent stretch in the fall. Could Master Teague be in here or there? Sure. Should you feel good about him? Sure. Um, is the number two tailback going to be a super important role on this team? Probably not, in my opinion. Lucas Pickle Seamer, Buckeye Talk fan one. 
after seeing this year's edition of spring football, who would you bring back from past years to play this season? One defense, one offense. Love the pod. Keep it up. Um, let's go offense. I probably would go on offense. I mean, Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> can you say, can you say Dwayne Haskins? If Dwayne Haskins was the quarterback, I mean, that ESPN playoff percentage would be higher. However, that math would work. Um, like, I think they'll be fine at receiver. I think there's a way where the receivers could be better. You know, some guys got to pop, but I think there's reason to think guys will pop. You'd like to have more experience on the offensive line, but, you know, would, would Taylor Decker or Pat Elfline or Billy Price, like, magically change the whole line? I don't know. I think they're fine at tight end. I think they're, they're good at running back. Um, so I bring back Dwayne Haskins. So, you know, I, we can't, but, they would just be a different team. They would just, and you, everybody would think differently about them because that dude made this offense work. Defensively, um, I, I mean, I think they're going to be good at corner. I think they'll be fine at safety with Jordan Fuller back. Um, they have options at linebacker. So, um, you know, I mean, I probably would bring back Joey Bosa, somebody like that, to again, pair with somebody. At defensive end, I mean, you could bring back, you could bring back just a sure thing, um, dynamite middle linebacker, just that you absolutely, you know, I mean, maybe it's the upside of what you think Baron Browning could be. I still don't have a great sense. I'm very curious how they're going to, again, last year they basically, they shared a lot of reps with Borland and Browning. Maybe that's where we're going to be again. But if you had James Laurinaitis or Raekwon McMillan or a guy like that at middle linebacker, would you bring that guy back? You know, I mean, maybe. I think Malik Harrison can be really good at linebacker. There's just a lot of guys. There's like 11 spots or something like that where, where by the fall, it can feel like a question mark now. And by the fall, you're like, good, locked in, no worries. You know, would, would a guy in the middle of the defensive line, a sure thing, you know, would you bring Draymond Jones back? Would that help? Sure. But I think there's there's ways you can feel really good about the middle of the defensive line if things pop. So um, probably a leader in the middle of the defense that's a playmaker um, on that side of the ball. And you know what? I think I think just, you know, Dwayne Haskins might be an answer of who you'd bring back for something we'd be talking about for years. So I tweeted out when I tweeted out the questions, if you guys didn't see it, I went to the Columbus Zoo with my sister and her kids, they were in town uh, for the spring game, and uh, there were polar bears, very, very frisky, 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 frisky polar bears, wrestling. I saw there was a polar bear. They they dumped. They had fish. They have fish, real fish, not robot fish. Fish swimming with the polar bears, and they dumped fish food in, and all the fish went nuts. And then the three polar bears there were like diving into the water and one of them dove in and grabbed the fish and the polar bear's head popped up right next to the glass where I was standing and the polar bear had a fish in its mouth and it swam over and got up on a rock and ripped that fish apart and ate it. Nature. So I tweeted out a picture of wrestling polar bears with the call for the tweets this week, which is why some people are asking polar bear questions if you're confused about why we're suddenly talking about polar bears on this podcast, although we talk about random stuff all the time. You get a press release from Ohio State 
asks Scott Duda. That says a current player has been suspended by the university for keeping a polar bear as a pet in his dorm room. Who would you say it is? My money would be on B.B. Landers or Demario McCall. I think it's definitely B.B. Landers, and I can't imagine that there would be another answer. I mean, that man, he wears a cowboy hat. Um, he has a selfie stick out. He's recording his life, I think. He's just a, he's a freewheeling, like, guy who likes to have a good time, like, not in a bad way. Like, he doesn't mean harm. There's, he wouldn't mean harm by having a polar bear in his dorm room. Although, the zookeeper who was there uh, while they were feeding the polar bears was talking about how we were asking, you know, how do you go in there? Can you go in there with the polar bears? And they were like, no, we've got to make sure the polar bears are like in the back enclosure when we go in and clean like their area and stuff. Because, you know, if you would go in there with a polar bear, they would eat you. So my advice to B.B. Landers, if he is considering getting a polar bear, is, you know, think of the polar bear. Is that the best, is a dorm room the best environment for a polar bear? But also, a polar bear will eat a human. The zookeeper, you know, there's some animals you're like, oh, you go in there and, like, you see stuff. The gorillas are hugging zookeepers or a tiger comes over. You guys have seen that video. Someone raised pet tigers and then she goes back to visit them 30 years later and the tiger's licking licking the person's face. My impression is that if you raised a polar bear and then gave it to a zoo and came back to visit it and tried to hug the polar bear, that polar bear that you had raised would consume you. Eddie Vulich at Zadea. Your friend and mine, what percent of the passing loads at the spring game were O-line related? What percent of the running success was good running back or good O-line or soft D? Um, I just don't take any... I can't. You can't take anything away from the run plays... Thud tackling, guys hitting holes without fear. Like, I just, it's fine that they ran some run plays. I thought, like, just like the smoothness of the zone read, I think some of that. um, And and I know Landis was going through the game, too, and tweeting some stuff out. And I I was going through it, and he did make a good point that I saw, too. It's like you could see on one of the run plays, um, the, the threat of fields drew a lot of the defenders, and then Master Teague got outside the other way on a give. And that's the thing you're looking for. The way a defense reacts to the mesh point and reacts to the threat. So you know that Justin Fields is a legitimate threat because they were drawn to Fields the way that nobody was ever drawn to Dwayne Haskins. The passing woes, there were some guys getting pushed back into the quarterback. And so there was definitely a play where I said we'd talk about Jay Sean Cornell. He smoked Wyatt Davis early on a play. He made like an inside move and Wyatt Davis didn't even get a hand on him. And Jay Sean Cornell, I think it was Fields, was in Fields' face immediately. And there were a couple times where... Jonathan Cooper and Chase Young um, were just shoving Nicholas Petit Frere back into the pocket. And so part of it was that. However, there was at least one play that stood out to me very early on. There were a couple times, I think Chug got hit. What are you going to do about the third string quarterback? But the play where Justin Fields like, got his hand hit and was sort of massaging his hand, like there was just some holding of the ball that... I thought was an indication of some lack of anticipation in the passing game, which I thought was one of the things that Dwayne Haskins did best. That I did not think was great. Again, it's early, whatever, but we've got to analyze what we see. So you want more anticipation in the pass game. But I did think there was a play early where the pocket collapsed and Justin Fields stepped up. And there were guys crossing in the middle of the field. Austin Mack was one of them. Go back and watch it on BTN to go. And you can see Austin Mack start to come open. And the pocket is collapsing. But I feel like on that play, Dwayne Haskins would have stepped up into the pocket 
and given himself time and found room to make that throw to Austin Mack. And Justin Fields, when he stepped up, was looking to move and get out of the pocket, and he got sacked. And so I'm very curious about Justin Fields and his ability when a po- when the pocket goes awry. And we talked a lot last year, to be fair, that Dwayne Haskins needs a clean pocket to be at his most effective. Um because he's not going to scramble. But I did think Dwayne Haskins, more often than not, found a way to get rid of the ball or move enough in the pocket to make a throw. He wasn't going to scramble and get big yards. I'm curious about Justin Fields. When he when a pocket collapses, will he look up? Will he look to throw? Will he step up and keep the play alive and keep his eyes up? Or when he feels something, will he just look to get out? Because I thought there was another play where he felt pressure and looked to escape and then, like, the escape route he thought was there wasn't there, and he ended up taking a sack. So that pocket awareness, that ability to feel pressure and still make a play is something that I think we need to watch in the spring and will be something I think will be maybe the number one thing to watch with Justin Fields um, in September. With a young offensive line with four new starters, when he gets pressure, what does he do? Does he, A, make big plays with his feet? Because in the life and progression of a quarterback, maybe that's not what you're looking for. But you know what? If it works and it gets you yards, great. Figure out all the stuff later. Make big plays with your feet. Will he keep his eyes up and make plays throwing the ball after he moves in the pocket? Or will he immediately look to run and then find that there are no running lanes and end up running into sacks? end up that like, hey, you know what? These defenders are pretty good too. They're running me down when I think, oh, I'll get to the edge and make a play and all of a sudden a fast linebacker is chasing me down. That I think is going to be a very big indication on how effective this offense is early in the year is what happens when Justin Fields gets pressured. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to be more concise with my answers because I talk a lot. We'll see if you guys think I have been. G. Nilly. Gee, Nelly, is it possible that Justin Fields just had an amazing week at the Elite 11 in high school and is otherwise an amazing runner and limited passer? I can't see him ever being on the Trevor Lawrence, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray level as a thrower. Am I overreacting, or do you see that too? Basically, is Fields ceiling JT Barrett, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, where he will rack up stats but get shut down against Alabama and Clemson? So I think you're overreacting, which is fine, but I think like I'm sort of overreacting too because I completely understand this question. And G. Nilly did also said like he had listened, re-listened to the Justin Fields podcast we did a little while ago um, after I said, you know, we had looked at all the Justin Fields film from high school and looked at some of his plays from Georgia. And I had expressed um, a concern there about him being a, maybe being a guy who looks to run as soon as he feels some pressure, and I have questions about him sort of hanging in the pocket and making throws. And I think a little bit of that is what we saw in the spring. And so I, I do think, you know, if you watched him before, that's a little bit of what we've seen so far. So I think if he doesn't change, I think Gene Lee's question might be right. And then I think he does have a ceiling. But I think also it's very reasonable to think that he can grow into this. Now, again, we have to remember, this is what I said before to people about making Deshaun Watson comparisons. If people thought I was down on Justin Fields because I wasn't sure he could be Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson might be the best college football player of the last decade. So, like, if you don't think, if I don't think he's going to be Deshaun Watson, that's what I'm talking about. 
Is Justin Fields going to be a guy who's going to be the best player in college football for two straight years, should have won the Heisman, and leads his team to a national title? That is the, it's the highest bar in the game. It's like you say, oh, I don't think a, a guy drafted, I don't think Baker Mayfield can be Tom Brady. It doesn't mean I don't think the guy can be good. It's just like, what are we trying to compare him to? So if we're comparing him to Trevor Lawrence and Tua and Haskins and Kyler Murray, Haskins and Kyler Murray are going to be first-round picks. People think Tua's going to be maybe the first pick in the 2020 draft, and people think for sure T- Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first pick in the 2021 draft. So do I think Justin Fields is going to be a top-ten pick in the NFL draft? Right now, no. So, so if I ag- agree that he's not Lawrence to a Haskins, Kyler Murray, that's only that's all. That's the only thing I mean. He's not that. It's not a criticism. But I think he has to progress. He has to show us more than he's shown. He's barely played. He's barely played. He doesn't know the whole playbook yet. So it's fine. Like it's fine. Do not draw any firm conclusions about the totality of Justin Fields' career and his potential and his ceiling. Don't draw conclusions about that now. Because I do think his talent level is higher than JT Barrett's. His talent as a thrower is higher than JT Barrett's. I think his talent as a dynamic runner is higher than JT Barrett's. Jalen Hurts is potentially a really interesting comparison because it's like, well, what's Jalen Hurts? Is it like a criticism to be compared to Jalen Hurts who like led his team to the national title game and then started again and then got replaced by Tua and now transfer is going to start at Oklahoma, which is a top five program? Like Jalen Hurts is great, but he's not Tua. So if you want Justin Fields to be Tua, he's got to get there. But Jalen Hurts is pretty good. So I, I think maybe some people are just coming around on the caution of Justin Fields, which is sort of what I was maybe beating the drum at on this whole time. Caution in 2019, I think there's still... But don't give up on the 2020 ceiling. Don't give up on the 2020 ceiling. Maybe don't bet on Heisman 2019. If that's your takeaway from spring game, that you don't think Justin Fields is going to win the Heisman in 2019, that I agree with. Chase, my guy and yours. Chase, KR19. What do you think the ceiling and the floor are for Fields in 2019 as a passer? What do his physical tools look like in person? Will he be a three-year player? Or do you think he may need four years? So uh, he's on the plan. Uh, I, I am just, there's no reason. So, so here's the thing. Nick Bosa was on the three-year plan from like his sophomore year in high school. He was on a three-year college plan. Dwayne Haskins was on the three-year college plan. Justin Fields is on the three-year college plan, which will mean only two years at Ohio State. So everything I'm going to think about Justin Fields is going to be that. That he's only going to be here in 19 and 20 and then he's gone. Because I'll tell you what, the only way that he stays is if something goes wrong. (laughs) So... You don't want to bank on something going wrong. He doesn't want to bank on something going wrong. So if we get, if he gets to the end of his third year of college and like his feedback for the draft is like, you're not going to be picked, then maybe he stays. But, but why? Like, I just think let's everybody be in that mindset with him because he's in that mindset and that's okay. These guys, it, they, they, they want to, it's a training school. It's a, it's a technical school. It's a, 
professional school. It's not college. It's a trade school. That is a good point, Doug. For guys like that, college isn't college. It's a trade school. You're not there to get a degree. You're there to figure out how to do a job. And you know what? Trade schools are awesome. In a world where half of our society is bogged down by college debt and people are getting out of college with huge debt and can't get a job and people are going to trade schools and figuring out how to do something and then getting a job in that field, trade schools are awesome. So if football for you is a trade school, great. That's awesome. So let's just assume that with Justin Fields. Ceiling and floor for Fields in 19 as a passer. I mean, ceiling is... Boom, it clicks, and he's Tua, right? I don't think he's ever going to be Dwayne. I think Dwayne was just different, and I saw someone had had noted that they thought it was super interesting that one of the things K.J. Hill said after the spring game was that Justin Fields throws it harder than Dwayne Haskins. I wrote that before practice started. I wrote a column about that. K.J. Hill said the same thing. Before spring practice started, when I talked to K.J. Hill, he said that. So it's not news that he said it after. He said it then. Justin Fields throws it harder than Dwayne Haskins, but that is not a compliment. It is a factual statement. But the only thing in the world is not how hard you throw it. Dwayne Haskins throws a catchable ball. So, like, if you're taking Justin Fields throws it harder as, like, a good thing? That's a misread on what the on what KJ Hill was saying. He's not criticizing Justin Fields. He's stating facts. Dwayne Haskins threw a, a accurate ball, a catchable ball, a ball that when I I talked to his his coaches and stuff at his pro day, he's like an experienced pitcher who has thrive five or six pitches. He can throw whatever pitch he needs to throw for a strike to get the guy out. He can throw whatever ball he needs to throw to make the completion. Justin Fields isn't there yet. He he slings that ball, man. So I think his ceiling is like, I don't know. I mean, his ceiling's really high. His ceiling is like a a deep ball chucking, zip it in a tight window, but I think maybe still not accurate like Dwayne Haskins, but really good big play ability, right? That if you got wound up about the 98-yard touchdown, and I'll talk about that, then then that's there. That's the ceiling. The floor is just inaccurate, indecisive, one read, runs a lot, and maybe like, again, even the floor, I think even the floor includes Justin Fields running really successfully this year, but just a disjointed passing game because there's not a lot of throws in rhythm. The offensive line gives up pressure, and as soon as he feels pressure, the offense is out of rhythm, and most of what they get is on scramble plays, throws on the run, guys breaking off routes, and that you don't see any of the precision of the 2018 offense. That's the floor. The floor is not like disastrous offense. They can't move the ball. They go four and eight. That's not it. It's just a lack of precision and an over-reliance on talent and natural natural ability and, and throwing on the run and crazy stuff because you just have more talent than a lot of people. So let's not go overboard on how it could go wrong. Like arm strength, power, that kind of thing, really good. Physical tools, good. Speed, maybe a touch below what I thought. I think instinct to put your foot in the ground and make a cut and turn up field, good. Zone read, good. Like a lot of good stuff. 
But maybe, again, he's not Deshaun Watson. And Nick Kelly says he's excited for the Buckeye Talk Columbus Drew crossover. So those are the Twitter questions this week. Let me catch my breath. We're going to come back in one second with another run of questions from email. Then we'll get out of here. Talking about the spring game. Talking about Justin Fields. Talking about Ohio State as a national championship playoff contender here on Buckeye Talk. All right, going to hit you guys with a round of uh, questions from Gmail. Again, you can email us always at BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. Um, we're going to continue this. I, you know, I'm trying to think if I might take a week off. Would you guys care if I took a week off at some point? Did that offend you? I don't know. I'm trying to think. The last time we didn't do a Buckeye Talk in a week. I will go back and look. But I'm trying to think if I'm going to take a week off at some point between now and Big Ten Media Days, which are like July 18th and 19th, I think. Might do it. But if, but until then, you know, we're going. We're doing our thing. So next week, by the way, I had said we're going to do a big recruiting podcast. I'm going to make Steven and Tim Bielek, uh get get all their stuff in, in line for that um, if it works out with their schedules. We will hit on some draft stuff. I don't want to nail the draft uh, in a podcast because then it, as soon as they have the draft and, like, if we spend all week talking about, I think Dwayne Haskins is going number nine, and then it's like you listen to it a day late and he already got picked, whatever. We'll talk about it some next week, but I would like to, to really hit recruiting next week. If for some reason the recruiting stuff doesn't happen next week, it'll happen the week after. I really, really want to do a recruiting reset on where things stand, and I think you guys want that too. So for now, um, still recruiting for the plan next week. We'll, we'll assume that's going to happen. Uh, Damian Pereno. Just want to shout him out for sending me the video of the robot shooting three-pointers. Uh, he was among the people who pointed that out. So, Damien, thank you for sending that to me on Gmail. Bill Feeman, our guy who sends in good emails, is asking if Baron Browning is, is the next Chris Worley. That Chris Worley was a good outside linebacker. They made him a middle linebacker where he was below average. Then they put Tough Borland in. They moved Worley back outside, and that helped fix things um, with the linebackers. In 2017, is that what it, what is at play here? I, I don't think that's the right comparison because the thing with Worley was that he was an outside linebacker, no doubt about it, in skill set, in size, and they moved him into the middle because they didn't have anybody else to do it. Baron Browning's bigger. Worley almost would have been a good bullet, maybe. Browning's bigger, and Browning's been in the middle since he got here. Now, Browning also played safety and moved around some in high school, but he's been in the middle since he got here, pretty much. And so I, I, I don't know. You know, Worley had done something and then moved. Browning, I'm asking that Browning move outside because he is inside, and it just doesn't feel like he's going to. So, uh, you know, he played a lot. He played a good amount last year with Borland. You know, you saw him out there a lot of times when it mattered. I think that's the way we have to think about it until further notice. Um, I think he showed some good things in the spring game. I think maybe that's just how it's going to be. And then Bill's asking, you know, who else can play in the middle? Do they have any beyond anyone beyond Tarada Mitchell and, and Tough Borland? And if Barron stays in the middle, like that's, they're three deep. They are three deep and good to go at middle linebacker. So Toronto Mitchell's only a true sophomore. Um, it's that, that interesting linebacker class that I think we want to stay focused on. I think we'll let the incoming freshmen sort themselves out, but Toronto Mitchell is going to start at middle linebacker at some point for Ohio State. So 
finding his successor, like are we, we don't have to worry about finding the successor to Toronto Mitchell while he appears to be third on the depth chart right now. I think that guy gets it. I think that guy's got everything you want at a middle linebacker. I think he might be the next James Laurinaitis. Like, I just like everything about Toronto Mitchell. And it just might not be his time right now if Baron Browning stays in the middle and Tough Borland's healthy. So that's okay. But we don't have to look at middle linebacker down the line. They're in good shape there. Andrew W., I'm saving your email till the end because there's so much good stuff. Ryan Reddig, um Asked about Fields hurting his hand, then also said, do we see a quick return to the read option? Again, it's just funny. We talked about it last week. There's a difference between Ryan Day's philosophy and the utilization of personnel. I think Ryan Day's philosophy is less zone read, less running quarterback. I think the utilization of personnel this year compared to last year is more zone read, more running quarterback. They must run Justin Fields. And they will. I'm, waiting, I'm trying to figure out how many times I'm going to call Justin Fields Chris Fields. I don't think I've done it yet, but I might. So so Chip Munn, who is a tremendous uh, emailer and tweeter, and by the way, uh, said he missed the game because he's the captain for American Airlines. And he had to fly on his day off because of short staffing and bad weather. How about that? He feels good about stuff. He, he is talking about depth. And we can go through positions later this summer. I, I, I think there is, he makes some really interesting points about depth. And he says, in the end, he's come around on the idea. He says, the more I think about Saturday's scrimmage, the more I think the Buckeyes are a national championship contender this year. So, the, you know, he says there's a lot of competition at linebacker. They're loaded in the defensive backfield and on the defensive line. Offensively, there's a lot to be excited about. They're eight deep at receiver. The tight ends are three or four deep. The offensive line has depth. He he makes the strong point that he thinks Brandon Bowen's going to start. Um, I guess instead of Jonah Jackson, if Brandon Bowen's healthy again, it's one of those things. If Brandon Bowen's your sixth offensive lineman, I think you're in good shape. That's a guy who who won a starting job two years ago. If he's your sixth offensive lineman, that's great. If Jonah Jackson, who has been a, a reliable starter at Rutgers, is your sixth offensive lineman, that's great. One of those two guys is going to be your sixth offensive lineman. So I think that's pretty good. Um, but you don't necessarily want to be defined by... So how can I say this? So anyway, his main point is that there's a lot of depth. He didn't think the quarterbacks look very seasoned, but they're young. They have a long way to go. He thinks that Ryan Day and Mike Yersich can develop these guys. So he, he feels good about stuff. And here's Chip. I appreciate all your emails, and you make great points. I'm not going to read them word for word, but here's what I'll express. Depth is great. I think I think there is interesting depth there, and it's the stuff I, I asked Ryan Day about at the beginning of spring. Like, There's just an interesting group of linebackers. It's an interesting group of receivers. It's an interesting group of DBs. But but with all this stuff, show me your stars. Depth is great. Show me your difference makers. Show me who are your seven best players. Who are the guys? Who are your all-American candidates? Who are your all-Big Ten players? Who are your guys that make a play to win a game. Chase Young? Yes. Who's next? Malik Harrison? Yes. Jordan Fuller, if he's healthy? Probably yes. 
But who are those guys? So I depth is great. There is young, interesting depth on this team. Who are your best players that get you over the top? Dwayne Haskins was that. Nick Bosa was that. Draymond Jones was that. Are you telling me Jeffrey Okuda is going to be that? Okay, I'm in. The way he played in the Rose Bowl, I'm in. But are we 100% sure of that? So I don't think the question with this team being great is depth. I think the question with this team being great is the top-end, elite, game-changing guys that win you games, that pull games out in the fourth quarter, that make the tackle, that make the sack, that are Joey Bosa and knock over a running back and knock him into the quarterback to win the game. Are you sure this team has enough of those guys? That, I think, is the question. I don't think it's the depth. But the point of the depth is when you have that depth, you have options of who are the guys that could pop up and be that. Well, there's a lot of different options. But you have the options who's going to actually do it. So I think that's what we're looking for in the fall. That's what we're looking for in the spring. That's what we're looking for in September. Andrew W., Doug, and Steven. He has so many questions here. It's unbelievable. But it's great. I'm going to give you his ranking of, of groups to be impressed by during the spring. You can think about that this week. Maybe later this uh, offseason we'll, we'll rank the position groups, right? We're doing a th- I'm doing a thing right now, the 25 moves that transform the Browns. I like stuff like that. So I want to do something with Ohio State, whether it's you know the 25 most important players. Or right- if I did a list right now, the 25 best players on this team, I think it would be interesting. Because I think like number eight, we- we'd have a disagreement. Who's number eight? Right? If everyone has Chase Young at number one, it's like, who's number eight? I think some people would have somebody number eight and somebody would have that same guy number 17. So I want to get into this stuff like that because I just think stuff like this is a good way to reassess what you know. So we'll get into some of that both in the written content and the podcast this spring. This is um, Andrew W.'s rankings of position groups. One receivers, two tight ends, three DBs, four D-line, five running backs, six offensive line, seven linebackers, eight quarterbacks. How impressed in the spring. I think I might have the linebackers higher because I like the depth. There's just uncertainty. I think the receiver, the tight ends are really good. It's like the tight ends don't matter all that much, but I'm telling you, man, like Jace, Jake Houseman made a play or two in that game as a former super highly ranked recruit. There's no doubt he's the fourth tight end on this team. Barry, Ruckert, and Farrell are all ahead of him. That's like a, that's a really good group. It's just like... Uh, there's a world where you could rank the tight ends number one. It's just they're not number one in importance, but in, tort- in terms of depth and talent, they might be number one. Um, the DBs are interesting. Like when you line up Arnett, Okuda, and Wade, that's pretty good. Fuller's good, right? So it's even hard to do a list like this. So so I don't know that I disagree with much of this. You know, defensive line, Chase Young pushes it up, but then like who are you, who's the next guy in the defensive line that you are 100% sure is a game changer. I don't know. I, I don't know 100% sure. So I think that goes to our overall point. Um, a lot of potential, a lot of depth, not sure. Rank in order who's going to have the best stats this season. Fields, Martell, Burrow, Patterson, Haskins in the NFL. Boy, that's really interesting. I, I mean, I think I think maybe it could be Shea Patterson. Um, Joe Burrow is like a winner. I did something when I wrote off the spring game. I, you know, I I, can, I looked at Burroughs and Haskins stats from last year. You know, 
Last spring, Ohio State had two quarterbacks in that spring game who wound up both being the starting quarterbacks for top 10 teams. Um, and so that was my comparison for Fields and Baldwin. And that Joe Burrow, if he was here, would be winning this quarterback job, no doubt about it. But Haskins, or Burrow's stats weren't great. You know, again, the, the, the thing that's funny to think about is last year, I was a thousand percent sure that Dwayne Haskins was going to win the job and should win the job. And there was some pushback from some people. Right? I mean, if you thought Joe Burrow should have beaten out Dwayne Haskins last year, and it's okay if you thought that, but you were wrong. So I'm not saying it's exactly the same with Justin Fields and Matthew Baldwin, but on a lower level, I just don't think you can think that Justin Fields is going to lose this job right now, right? I mean, he's just going to be the guy. But I do think, um, you know, the Haskins NFL stuff, I'm not an expert on that. Is he going to start as a rookie? It feels like maybe he's going to go do a team where he's not going to start as a rookie. Tate Martell had a terrible practice on the same day as the spring game for Ohio State. People think he might be the third stringer down there. So in terms of stats, and again, just what LSU does offensively stats-wise, I think I might go Patterson, Fields, Burrow, Haskins, Martell. Because I don't know what's going to happen with Tate in Miami. Best of luck to Tate. I just don't know what's going to happen. So... Last question that, that in, in Andrew's email, and we're going to end with this, and we're not going to go twi- two, quite two hours this week. As many were predicting, this year's spring game felt a tad watered down. Similar to your description of Student Appreciation Day and spring practice generally. It feels so far with Ryan Day like we're a bit of a car without a driver right now. But on the other hand, it feels like Day may institute some interesting new things. Do you think it's more likely that the Day era will supercharge what was established in the urban era of Lincoln Riley? Or will be nothing more than the slow death of the urban era, Mark Helfrich at Oregon after Chip Kelly? Which is not a comparison that I had thought about, but that is a fantastic ceiling and floor of offensive guy who takes over for a really good coach. And Lincoln Riley's been brought up a million times. Mark Helfrich has not been brought up, to my knowledge, before. And I'm not putting that on Ryan Day. Ryan Day is actually like, you know, he's the Chip Kelly guy as much as anything. And that just didn't work. I think more from a recruiting standpoint, I think Ryan Day will be okay in recruiting. The juiciness. The juiciness, I think, is like the number one thing. Because Urban was so intense that Ryan Day is just not intense in the same way. But I think that that is reflected outwardly in just like the the arm, the fist pumping intensity, outward intensity of the program. And And like, you don't have to win that way. But I think that might be the thing that fans and media notice the most where... That's going to be reduced, and it's not ever going to be the same. And, and again, that's okay. It, you don't have to win that way. But juice at the spring game, juice at the student practice, Urban Meyer, you know, yelling at a student kicker while everybody's sur- – like that's just going to be different. You're just going to have to get ready for a new era. Just that you know, I don't think that's Ryan Day, and that's fine. And I think it might be a world where like it's, you know, assistant coaches lead – more well-rounded lives because their head coach is not on them as much, right? So I think that's okay, but I think maybe we are going to notice that. So Ryan Day hasn't had a chance to establish all the stuff that he's going to do. That's fine. I don't think it's going to be the slow death, but I think there's just not as much juice and that's okay. I just don't think we're there in knowing 
where Ryan Day, what the personality of this program is going to be. And I want to end with one more thought. This means nothing, but I think it's just a small thing. So there's this golf tournament that they have in the South every year. And I got an email about it the other day. I get an email about it every year. They have the best college head coaches in the country go play golf in this little tournament. And they have a partner that is from their program um, that they also work with. Okay, And so Urban Meyer has been going to it for years. Here are the guys who are golfing in it this year. It's the head coach and then a celebrity. Here's the point of this. Let me lay the foundation first. Alabama, it's Nick Saban with Mark Ingram. Auburn, Gus Malzahn with Tim Hudson, the former Major League pitcher. Clemson, um, Dabo Sweeney with Bill Spires. I don't know who that is. Florida, Dan Mullen, Judd Davis. Georgia, Kirby Smart. You don't care who the other guy is. Georgia Tech, Paul Johnson. North Carolina, Mac Brown. North Carolina State, Dave Doran. Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, Ohio State, Urban Meyer, Ole Miss, Matt Luke, Pitt, Pat Narduzzi, UConn, Randy Edsel. So they list the coach and they list the head coach and all the head coaches are the current coach. Except Paul Johnson, who just retired at Georgia Tech and Urban Meyer, who were like listed as the coach, but they're not the coach anymore. And then they have a former coach. They said they have the second annual Legends Tournament consisting of eight former coaches. And it's Ralph Fridgen from Maryland, Chan Gailey from Georgia Tech, Jim Grobe from Wake Forest, Bobby Johnson from Vanderbilt, Rick Neuheisel from Colorado, Washington, and UCLA, Tom O'Brien from Boston College and North Carolina State, Steve Spurrier and Tommy Tuberville. Here's the point. like This tournament is treating Urban Meyer the way he's always been treated there. He's done this for years. He did this when he was at Florida, and he started doing it when he was at Ohio State. And I've written a lot of little posts over the years. He's down there competing against Nick Saban and that kind of thing. And it's like a southern thing that Ohio State's part of because of Urban. But that tournament is treating Urban Meyer as the head coach. They didn't invite Ryan Day. And Urban Meyer's not in the group with the former coaches. He's in the group with the current coaches. And maybe a year from now, like, that'll change. But it was just like, it's just a tiny thing to me of like the world where in some ways, like Urban Meyer, in the view of some people, is still the head coach here. Of like the outside world. And like Urban Meyer and his family went to the Blue Jackets game and is tweeting out photos of Urban Meyer at the Blue Jackets game with Shelly Meyer and Nikki Meyer Dennis. And like, that's great. But like Ryan Day didn't tweet out himself at the Blue Jackets game and like, I don't know if people would be that interested in if Ryan Day was at the Blue Jackets game, but like, it feels like Urban being at the Blue Jackets game is a big deal. And that's how it always felt when Urban was the coach here, that he did stuff like that, this extraneous stuff that Urban Meyer's presence out in the world as the Ohio State coach was a big deal. And Urban Meyer is retaining that big deal presence out in the world to some degree, while Ryan Day is actually the coach now. And it's nothing. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It just is. But if he wasn't Urban Meyer, it wouldn't be that way. And it's just different. And it doesn't mean they can't win. It's just different. And I just don't know what what Ryan Day's presence out in the world is going to be like. He's just a different personality than Urban. He's not a big as big a name as Urban. He hasn't won three national championships like Urban. But also, is it going to be a little harder for Ryan Day 
to get into this golf tournament if Urban's going to keep being in it? Is it a little harder for Ryan Day to tweet out that he goes to the Blue Jackets game if Ryan, if Urban Day, if Urban Meyer is tweeting out that he goes to the Blue Jackets game? It's, it's, I'm not saying anything. I'm not secretly implying stuff. You guys know what I'm trying to read between the lines. I'm just noting it that it is part of what we've talked about, the thing I wondered about, the shadow, all this stuff. Lincoln Riley immediately threw off the Bob Stoops shadow. A, because Bob Stoops is not Urban Meyer. And B, because Lincoln Riley immediately coached a Heisman Trophy winner and got to the playoff in year one. So if Ryan Day gets to the playoff in year one, like he, he'll get invited to every golf tournament in the world. But if he doesn't, what's it going to feel like? Not in the program, but out in the world. And if it feels out in the world, like Urban Meyer is still soaking up the juice and Ryan Day doesn't have it, does that matter at all for the football program and the success of the football program? I don't think it necessarily does, but is it the kind of a minor effect on recruiting? Is it a minor effect on the view of the program nationally? I don't know. I'm just saying it, repeating myself. I'm just noting it. So we're going to end it this week there. Some people have wondered if we need to go two hours anymore. You know, if you're sick of hearing me talk, maybe we won't go two hours in the off season, especially if, when it's just me. That might be, and I know some people like the two hours, but I'm not going to go two hours if there's not two hours of content. So sometimes maybe there will be two hours of content. And you guys can tweet me if you want at Doug Maurice about this. I've been pondering the idea of maybe some off-season podcast where we do rewatch a game. Maybe we, we, we rewatch 2006 Ohio State Michigan. Maybe we rewatch Ohio State Alabama in the playoff. Maybe we rewatch, um, Terrell Pryor beating Iowa. Maybe we rewatch JT Barrett's comeback against Penn State. And we could talk about the program then, the program now, how our view of guys historically has or hasn't changed since that game, because of that game, whatever. If you think that would be interesting, maybe shoot me, shoot us an email at BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter at Doug Maurice. If, you, if you'd be into that, let me know. If people seem to have an interest in that, maybe we'll try that. If you guys want to try the text thing, I'm not going to give you a big... Commercial again. We've, we're doing more. More people at Cleveland.com are doing the text message thing. You can go to Cleveland.com to learn about it. I think they liked it enough with what the the initial four. Again, it was Mary Kay Cabot, Chris Feeder, Paul Hoynes, and me. Um, starting off, they've expanded it to other people. So if you want to follow some of our politics people, um, some of our other you know local government people, that kind of stuff, um, you know, it's out there for the text message thing. If you want to explore that. Figure it out at cleveland.com. But for now, we'll let you guys go. Um, thanks, as always, for listening. Um, drop the reviews if you'd like to. Um, you know, for, for now, this, this is the way the podcast is going to work for now. So um, I hope you guys still like it. We always appreciate you guys uh, hanging in with us. Draft is coming. A recru- recruiting, big recruiting podcast probably next week is coming. Um, off-season stuff is coming. We're going to delve back into some of the more interesting questions that people have sent. Mark Roberts, don't worry. Uh, your thing about urban and tight games is going to be a podcast in the future. Um, so if you have ideas for topics of podcasts in the off-season, I'm all ears. But for now, I'm Doug Maurice on behalf of Stephen Means. Thanks to you guys for listening. And that was 
Buckeye Talk.